Since he wrote the decision, the Hobbes decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, Justice Samuel Alito had not been seen. Showed up with a beard at a religious liberty conference reading a paper in Rome as a first sighting. Of course, the Supreme Court justices right now can scarcely go home. In the speech, he recounted a story of being in a museum in Germany where he ran across a very well-dressed mother who had her son around 12 years old with her. And they were standing before a, a, a piece of art that had a wooden cross and a man on the cross. And the son turned to her and he said, who is that? Alito said this in his speech. That memory has stuck in my mind as a harbinger of what may lie ahead for us in our culture and the problem that looms is not just indifference to religion. It is not ignorance about religion. There's a growing hostility to religion. End of quote. Well, several in the Western press took umbrage with what Alito said in his speech, one of whom was the L.A. Times editor for all the letters to the newspaper, a man named Paul Thornton. He wrote an article uh, that, I, that is, is exact title I should have written down. I did not. Oh, oh no. Maybe I did. My non-religious children shouldn't worry Justice Alito was the title of the article. And he wrote, Justice Alito, you don't have to worry about children growing up without a religion assigned by their parents. End of quote. My children are going to be fine without Jesus. Welcome to our world. Some are concerned about birth rates and fertility rates in Western culture. Uh, they, we are not replacing those who are dying. That doesn't bode well for our future. Uh, we are told we do not have a stable civilization when the fertility rates are lower than the death rates. I'm concerned about another birth rate. It is the new birth rate in Western culture and our world. That is, are we passing this faith in Jesus Christ on now that it has once and for all been delivered? Thomas Rayner, who does research on gospel Christianity in America, has said we've reached a point at which now gospel Christians in America are not sharing their faith. Now, if the new birth rate goes to zero, faith in Christ doesn't have a good future. Of course, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction because it relies upon passing the faith to a new generation and going forward. But now we are presented, of course, with other phenomenon. We now have the ex-evangelical movement, a storied social movement of those who were once a part of gospel Christianity who have walked away. And in celebrated way, they share their stories of what are called deconversion as they deconstruct their faith. What a unique global movement 
gospel Christianity is that lives off of the vitality of sharing the faith and having a new generation embrace the faith that we are sharing. There is a contest for the minds and hearts of the next generation of Christ followers. Families matter. Churches matter. Christian schools matter. As never before, godly fathers and godly mothers raising their children are making a huge difference. And we're up against a stout challenge fighting for the heart. Enter the Christian school as a great ally to our families, a wonderful partner partnering with us in providing an education that is consistent with biblical truth. What a tool for nurture and admonition. The team at the Christian school can be instruments in God's hand to help pass on the faith to the emerging generation. We've been at this task for now almost 50 years at Calvary Christian School. And each year when we come to this Sunday and as we pray through the school year with the school, Bill Dickens is a part of our staff meeting most every Tuesday that we are together and we get a report on what's going on at school and try to keep our finger on what needs to be prayed for and how we can support the effort. It's a joy for us to have his team here this morning. The thesis of what I would like to say is simply this. To the extent that we pass on a vital and living relationship with God and with God's word, to that same extent, we'll raise up a generation of kids who go out and turn the world upside down. A handful of two-bit fishermen from Galilee, and that was the country. That was out in the country. A handful of two-bit fishermen from Galilee were so gripped by knowing the word of God enfleshed in Jesus Christ that after the resurrection, they went out preaching the message so much so that Luke would record one critic of Christianity who in Acts 17, 6 said, these are the men that have turned the whole world upside down. What a vision to think that God could use Calvary Baptist Church and God could use Calvary Christian School to raise up an emerging generation that would go out and have such influence in our world. To crawl into the skin of this moment, we need to remember that we're passing through the time of the judges when according to chapter 3 and verse 1, there was no prophet, no word from God. It was rare. The word of God was rare. That's the term that's used in chapter 3 and verse 1. And then what is said is there was no vision. The, the prophetic vision was not brought to the people because there were no prophets. You had what Amos describes as a famine of the word of the Lord. But then that all changes in this chapter. And in these words of history that I've had the privilege of reading to you this morning. While it begins by saying it was rare, by the time you get to chapter 4 and verse 1, the words of Samuel came to all Israel. And he's just mentioned in 319, from Dan, way up north, to Beersheba, the word of God continued to range among the people of God. It came through Samuel. A barren woman wrestling with the difficult struggle of infertility, threw herself on the mercy of God and was gifted a son. And in gratitude for what he had done, she gives him back 
and gives them to the priest to raise at the temple. So Samuel, as a boy, is growing up at the temple. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says he's 12 years old at this time in this story. His mentor is Eli, the priest. Now there are two kinds of mentors. There's good ones, and then there's other kinds of mentors. And Eli falls into that category, which is where we want to start as we think about influencing others. First, what about parents, fathers, mothers, grandparents, teachers, administrators, desiring to make an impact? We'll look at this mentor, Eli, and take a candid look at our own hearts. And then we'll change to consider how we can make a difference using the word of God in the lives of our students and those entrusted to us. So first, this teacher, Eli, was dull toward the word of God. Look at verse 8. We pull up along Eli and we remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, 40. Everyone, after he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Yes, it is true that we reproduce after our own kind. We cannot impart what we do not possess. And Eli is just going to take Samuel as far as he had been taken. And from what we hear in this story, Eli was a little rough on the edges, maybe a bit more than a little rough. Two observations about this teacher. What kind of a teacher will you be this year? What kind of an impact will you have? First, Eli was not responsive to the word of God. Look at verses four through nine. Eli is sleeping right next to the local manifestation. He's sleeping in the temple, the local manifestation of the presence of God. It's interesting that there's a little intriguing vibe in this story about where they're sleeping. Verse 3 notes that Eli's sleeping in his place and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. Here's the intriguing phrase, where the ark of God was. You're almost left with the impression that Samuel was sleeping as close as he could to that local manifestation of the presence of God right next to the holy place. In fact, in verse 9, it says he returns, uh, so Samuel went and lay down in his place. There's an interesting eagerness in Samuel's heart. But you have the older Eli, who's obviously dull in his senses. His, his, his eyesight is failing him. His strength is failing him. And uh, he's not as sharp as he once was. But in particular, as we think about this, he's not as sharp in response to the word of God as he was before. Notice the contrast between Samuel's responsiveness and Eli's dullness. Did you note the verb in verse 5, ran? As soon as he had a sense that someone was calling, Samuel was up and he ran. All the while, in the midst of this calling, Eli is lying down and he didn't move. Uh, He's dull. He's not responsive. There's a sense in which this is a picture. Remember that verse that Jesus brought to the church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you will open the door and let me in, I will come in and sup with you and he with me. Here, Here you have the word of the Lord going forth, knocking repeatedly at Eli's door. The guy's in bed, disturbed by Samuel's attentiveness to it. Hey, just go back and lie down. And he is not 
a ready, responsive heart with his finger on the pulse of our Lord and his word and what's being communicated, he's distantly related to the word. It comes one time. It comes two times. On the third time, finally it dawns on him, hey, wait a minute, maybe something's going on here. And he was shaken out of his stupor and he began to be alert. Verse 8 uses the verb perceive. Finally, Eli perceived. Hey, wait a minute. I think something's going on. By the way, don't, can't we glory in the persistence of God? Uh, three times. By the way, how many times does God have to ring the doorbell to your heart before you come and answer the door? Who are we this morning? Are we dull, Eli, or are we responsive, ready, Samuel? The second observation is this. Eli's sons speak volumes about Eli's attentiveness to the word of God. Now, the rap sheet on the sons is not pretty. It's described in chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, when the people would bring the sacrifice. And remember, they're bringing the best of their flocks. They're bringing the choice meat. They bring it in to offer sacrifice. And Eli's sons were cutting out the well-marble porterhouse and taking it for themselves. And the word contempt is used in verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. How'd they do that? Well, they took the choice cuts out of the meat before it was offered to the Lord. They wanted it for themselves. But this sad story gets worse in verse 22 of chapter 2, because now Eli was very old and he kept hearing all this. His sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of the meeting. And he doesn't restrain them, the text says. Eli knew, according to verse 13, this is the word that came to Samuel, that his sons were blaspheming and he did not restrain them. The easiest thing in the world for a father to do, for a teacher to do, for an administrator to do, For a grandfather to do, for a coach to do, for a church to do, is to overlook what needs to be addressed. That didn't turn out well. The ark is taken, the sons die. Chapter 4 and verse 11 simply reports this. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. They died in the battle. Eli slid away from the influence of the living and active word of God. Notice this agent that God uses in the life of the responsive heart. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked. And exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hear the word of the Lord. Teachers, parents, coaches, grandparents. What's our disposition toward the word of God? Are we dull like Eli? 
have a ready, responsive heart like Samuel. Then secondly then, what ought the teacher understand about the word of God and the student? Here's Eli. His protege is Samuel. Four things that every teacher knows, that every parent knows, that every coach knows, that forges their vision to make a difference in the lives of those entrusted to their care. Four things that these influencers know. Number one, the student is clueless until the word of God is revealed to him. The word reveal shows up twice. In verse 7, the word of God had not yet been revealed to Samuel. He didn't know the Lord. Verse 21, the word of the Lord had been revealed to Samuel. There's one Samuel pre-word of the Lord revealing, and there's one Samuel post-word of the Lord revealing, and it's two completely different Samuels. I love the verb ran in verse 5. Samuel, he has a sense he's being called. He gets up and runs. I love this guy's spirit. Do you run for venues where the word of God is shared and valued? I remember I felt a a, a sense of offense. I was trying to understand it in the moment. Uh, I was uh, standing in the balcony of our uh, church where I served, and we were having a Christian contemporary artist have a concert that night, and we had... There was various ways this had to be all set up, one of which was the doors could not open before 6 o'clock. I've forgotten what the concert was. I think it was a 7. So I'm standing in the balcony at 6 o'clock, and so the appointed hour came. They unlocked the doors, and I began to watch. And uh, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, but people started running. And I'm watching them. They're running down the aisle trying to get as close to the stage as they could get. And while at first I found it humorous, then I had to ask myself, when is the last time I saw anybody that anxious to run in and hear the word of the Lord? The answer to that is never. Never. Samuel was eager, but he needed God to reveal himself to him. He was eagerly clueless. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answering for them said, thou art the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, bless you, Simon bar Jonah." For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. And that's how we come to understand. It's the pursuing God of heaven who discloses himself to us. And the agent and tool that he uses in the disclosure is the word of God. So we need to keep in mind that the student is clueless until the word of God is revealed to them. The greatest explanation doesn't win the day until the spirit of God reveals what is true. This will keep a parent and a teacher and an administrator on their knees in prayer asking God to use his word as a tool in their heart. This is the Emmaus Road all over again. Remember Luke 24 on the day Jesus was resurrected. What does Luke record? He records this. 
Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? Philip said, hey, you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand until someone explains it to me? The Spirit of God uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and brings us to understand. Every teacher knows that, and it keeps the teacher and the parent and the grandparent praying. The second thing those influencers know is that through God's word, the student comes to realize that God is pursuing him. Notice the persistence of God. Most of all the time, it's a lie. I've heard parents say before, I'm only going to tell you this once. I am grateful that the God of the Bible who made everything that is and couldn't love us more and is pursuing us is not, I'm going to tell you this one time and then if you don't get it, you're done. Time and time and time and time again, he pursues us with his word. I have good news for you this morning, especially if in your heart it feels vacuous and empty and you feel like I am far away from God. He is pursuing you in his word, inexorably pursuing you. And it's not a one and done. It's Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Then it's, did you notice he repeated it? Twice. It's Samuel, Samuel. Oh, the pursuing nature of our God who is taking the initiative. It's not, you know, I just, I kind of figured God out. No, you didn't. That's not what the Bible explains. We have no interest in him and then he pursues us. And in his pursuit, it stimulates our heart to be open to him by his grace. And he's there ahead of time inviting us to himself, pursuing us. I have good news for you this morning. God is pursuing you through his word and desires to disclose himself afresh to us. One of the great glories of living for Christ is to announce to others what is true. He's pursuing us. Teacher, student, parent, I don't know where you are, but I've got good news for you. Man has a long habit of hiding, but God has a well-established reputation for seeking. And the means of his pursuit is the word of God, Samuel, Samuel. Faith comes where? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing, discovery, faith, the word of God wielded by the spirit of God is like a bloodhound on the trail of our hearts in hot pursuit. Now, the third thing that the teacher and influencer understands is that the student encounters God in submitting to his word. Now, there's a phrase here and a word choice that's fascinating. Look at verse 10. Eli said, you go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Now, it's been auditory up to this point. It's just been something to listen to, something to hear. Did you notice verse 10? It's glorious and rich. And the Lord came and stood. What? The Lord came and stood, calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. You see, Samuel just wasn't interacting with the word of God. He was interacting with the person of God who was present in the interaction together. Because in the word of God, we encounter the enfleshed word of God, Jesus Christ. 
And so the word brings us to interact with God himself. What is the proper response to the word of God? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And we encounter this one that we are listening to, who comes, as it were, to stand there as we listen. And we we experience him. The Hebrew term for hear is a word, uh, you've heard it before, the great Shama. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That stems from the word hear, which is enunciated Shama. But a Hebrew word for hear means to hear and obey. Uh, The English word listen is not that a good approximate equivalent to that word shama. Because to the Hebrew, to hear was to obey. You ever heard a parent ask a child, are you hearing me? They're usually upset and there's a little passion in their voice. And what they're saying is, I'm saying things to you and you're not paying any attention. You are not hearing me. To the Hebrew, to hear was to obey. Hear, O Israel. That's not, you know, Sprint commercial. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? No, it's all about obedient responsiveness. So Eric, what does it look like? It looks like, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. A posture of responsiveness. But what's interesting is that in Samuel's heart, as God is revealing himself to him, there seems to be this preloaded submission to what is heard. And in that preloaded submission that is enacted, we experience God. He stands right there. Remember what John said in the beginning was, remember the name he gave for Jesus, the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, Christmas, John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only unique Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. You get the verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We come to know God in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is revealed The written word, inscripturated, was enfleshed in Jesus. And he stands as we hear his word and are responsive. Through God's word, the student comes to realize that God is pursuing them. The student encounters God in submitting to his word. My sister-in-law loves golf. Andy's sister, Shelley. And... uh, she, if, if golf is in the Midwest, the pro tournament, she's there volunteering, and she's gotten to know players and that, and that's just kind of her thing, a little hobby. Well, she decided she was going to pay a big bone to go down and be at uh, Annika Sormstam's uh, golf camp in Florida. And so she registered for the camp, paid the freight, got down there, and Annika Sormstam, who's a LPGA, Hall of Fame player, professional women's golf player. She, she's in the Hall of Fame, great career. Uh, her sister's her coach for the week. But coming with this experience, just to be a part of, part of the week, something came, and it was you got to experience a meal, an evening meal with Annika Sormstam. So she uh, goes to the table one night, and Annika comes out, and they sit down and just have a great time together. And she's like, man, this is really great. But coming with that golf camp experience was this time of communion at the table. 
You see, when we come to the living word of God, we come to the experience of God as he discloses himself in his word. And that's the glory of teaching. We have the privilege of urging our students forward to experience God revealed in his word. Finally, the student's life bears the imprint of the word of God's influence. Look at verse 20. This is a different Samuel than verse 1. Rare word, never heard, vision, not around. Now we have a bona fide, newly minted prophet. From here on, the word of God would be heard from Dan way up north to Beersheba, Beersheba way down south. And so the next chapter starts with, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. There's great movement. We're moving out of the dark ages. And what we have now is the gracious condescension of a good God in pursuit of his own as he reaches for them in his word here through the prophet Samuel. Verse 19 has a curious phrase. I know you saw it, heard it. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. By the way, it's really convicting to read. I wonder how many of my words just as it fall off. The Lord was so ingrained in the work of the Lord through this Samuel that his words took flight in the life of the hearers. Samuel not only had a responsive heart, God brought the people to be responsive in their own hearts. God's word accomplishes what he wants. Isaiah 55, 11, just as the rain comes down and waters the ground, and plants come naturally as a result of the way God made our world. So the word of God goes forth. And it shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. It's, lo- it's living, it's active, it's sharp, it's piercing. And it's our greatest tool to influence the coming generation. And we need to be attentive to it ourselves. It's a great catalyst. My favorite class in all school was chemistry too, in high school. And it was because we uh, spent uh, the first uh, eight weeks messing around with all these chemicals and figuring out just exactly what they did when you mix them with others. Then we spent the next eight weeks with these mystery vials. And we had one period to determine what was in that vial. But we had done all that work, and we knew that when you put a catalyst in hydrochloric acid, and I'm going to pull something out of the ether, maybe really blow something up here this morning, I don't know, but I forget what we had in the flask. But when you put a certain catalyst in there, immediately there was a chemical reaction. And based on how the reaction was, you could discern what was in the flask. I love catalysts that immediately bring change. The most profound catalyst I've ever been around is the word of God. Well, did Jesus say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we get to Samuel's posture of speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Powerful, transforming things go on in people's lives. They are changed. When you get to the point where it's Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, singing to ourselves psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, teaching 
admonishing one another. One of the great glories of teaching and investing in education, and I know there are homeschool mother and fathers here, there are Christian school teachers, there are public school teachers, there are university teachers. God has called us all to be right where he wants us to be. One of the great glories of teaching and education is life change. I love the quotes where somebody will be around a sophomore in high school who's had him in the fifth grade, and they'll say to themselves, that's just not the same kid anymore. Or the cynical will say, are you kidding me? Is that really her? How could it be? I remember her when. Hasn't she changed? Or the wag will say, what happened to him? Completely different dude than he used to be. All the power of an influencer shaping our lives. Little West Virginia boy grew up in the middle of nowhere in McDowell County. But he kind of liked the blowing up part of rockets. In 1957, when he was 14 years old, at the science fair, when he had a project on rocketry, Homer Hickam met the German genius working for NASA, Werner von Braun, at the science fair. And he shook his hand. And he argued that his life was transformed. That he saw in that moment what could be that he couldn't see until it was revealed to him. But it was transforming. He went on to be a pilot in the shuttle program for several times. And you might have seen the movie, October Sky that chronicles this story of those uh, rocket boys who chased the dream that was born in that introduction at that science fair. Well, that's good for life, and uh, Homer Hickam has a wonderful story. But we steward the eternities of these children and have the opportunity and time to invest our lives in them for the glory of Christ. Our best tool is this book. And when we are like Samuel and not like Eli, we are in a great position to be a tremendous catalyst thrown in the flask of their hearts that brings about glorious transformation. And a brand new generation of kids who with bold courage live out this faith that's been once and for all delivered to us. God's best to you in this year as you give yourself to that task. And parents, we're with you as you day-to-day, moment-by-moment, dollar-cost averaging are investing in such things in your families. Let's pray. Father, we're blind without the sight that you give. We're distracted in petty temporal things until you awaken in us a knowledge of yourself. Thank you for your generous pursuit of us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I love that line. You stood there and revealed yourself to Samuel. God, bless these teachers. Bless these parents and grandparents. Life will soon be over on the great day. We want to present to you a life of faithfulness in living out this book 
and pointing others to embrace it with all their might. The living word of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bless the mission of Calvary School this year. May it be an unusual year where the Spirit of God is free to take the Word of God and it runs in the hallways and classrooms and most importantly in the hearts of the students. And they'd be like little Samuel, running to obey and respond. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.